This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thank you, James. That was beautiful. It was from the heart. I want to speak to you seriously tonight because we are facing the elections. We're facing a, a lot of things in life. This is probably, CS probably my favorite crowd. I, like, I love young people, and I really mean that because young people are looking for a challenge. Young people want the truth. They want it straight with no frills on it. Young people want it as it comes, and that's why I love you so much. And I've been looking forward to this particular meeting for a long time since you invited me. And I want to tell you tonight, I've got a special word for you, and it's a challenge for you. And I really believe that this crowd of people here tonight can change the nation. Can we give a lot of clap, please? Amen. Change the nation. Change the nation. What God's looking for is passion. They said there doesn't seem to be too much passion in some areas at the moment. But I'm here tonight. Good to see you, son. I'm here tonight, and I almost, I'm going to say this carefully, I almost feel that this book tonight is on trial. And I want you to have a good look, this book. This is my agricultural manual, but this is the Bible. This is the most precious thing to me. You will never see me in a photograph without this book. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. First the Jew, then the Gentile. That is why there's no power in lots of areas in our church. Because people are compromising the word of God. Can I have an amen, please? Amen. Not here in South Africa. This is a Christian country. And we need to stand up and be counted. I want to say two things, and maybe I'll get into trouble right at the beginning. Why not? I get into trouble anyway, don't I? But at least I'm getting into trouble for the right things. There's two obligations that we have as citizens of this country. Number one, we have to vote because it's scriptural. We have to obey the authorities. Number two, you have to ask God to show you who to vote for. I know most of the leaders of the political parties, some better than others. So I'm not going to sit here tonight, stand here tonight and tell you who to vote for. And I think that's wrong. Now I'm going to get into trouble. Because I can tell you of Christians in most parties. I'm not saying that all parties agree. But what we do need to do tonight is to lift up this book. We need to stand up for Jesus Christ and for the validity, the validity of the Word of God. I looked up the uh, Oxford Dictionary to see what the word validity means. To be valid, it means actually supporting the intended point or claim. That's what we need to do. Let's just go to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35. As I'm getting older, I'm realizing less stories and more scripture. It's scripture that convicts people, not fancy stories, folks. We're not interested in Shakespeare or what he said or Dr. Spock or any of those, or Charles Darwin, or anybody. We're interested in the book. It's in the book, Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven 
and earth will pass away. But my words will by no means pass away. This is Jesus Christ in print. If somebody says to you, one of your students on the campus says, show me this Jesus you're always talking about. Give him a Bible. It's in the book. And I'm telling you tonight, I'm going to challenge you. By the end of this meeting, we are coming to the front. Many of us who are not standing up for God. This is not a general guide to life. This is divine. It's been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by men of God. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 5. Go back a bit further. Verses 18 and 19. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 18 and 19. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. I'm not scared of ISIS. No, I'm not scared of ISIS. I'm not scared of any radical group because we know exactly where they are and what they're standing for. Good to see you, James. I am scared of compromise in the church. I am concerned for people who call themselves followers of Jesus and they are twisting the word of God to suit their own lifestyle. Come on, give the Lord a clap. That's what I'm concerned about. That's what I'm concerned about. All roads do not lead to heaven, young man. Not what my Bible says. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one will go to the Father but by me. Do you believe that? Those of you who believe that, put your hands up. Okay, so that's almost everybody. But, but are we living that? You see? You see? Are we living that? I've got a little grandson. I'm going to start crying just now, Artis. He's 10 years old. His name's Callum. He's one of my, I've got 11 grandchildren. He's nine years old. He was at school. A Christian school. That's right. They put on a movie that was unsavory. That little boy, nine years old, he stood up in front of his teacher and the class, he says, I'm sorry, madam, I can't watch it. And he got up and he walked out and half the class walked with him. Yes. Oh, yes. He's got more guts than most men of my age group. Because some of these men, they wouldn't move. Because you're too concerned about what people think of you. That, that little boy is going to be rewarded by Jesus Christ. You wait and see. Matthew 5, 18 and 19. Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle. A jot or a tittle is the old English for a dot or a hyphen. One jot or tittle will by no means pass from the law Till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, you take one word out of this book. You put one word in this book and every plague in this book will come upon you. That says the Lord. Can we give the Lord a clap, please? We go to Luke 16, 7. Luke chapter 16 and verse 7. Luke chapter 16, verse 17. I beg your pardon. 
and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fall or to fail. This Bible cannot be altered. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 says, There are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the and the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that. It says there are three that bear witness in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Who is the Word? Who is the Word? I'm asking you a question. Jesus! Say it, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus. That's a bit better. Jesus! Jesus. And say it with great pride. Don't apologize. Why are you apologizing? What are you going to apologize for? Jesus never abused a child. Jesus never took, care, took advantage of a widow or an orphan. Jesus never stole. Jesus never told lies. He is pure. Why do you hesitate? A good question. Maybe the devil doesn't want it. Maybe you'll become unpopular. Well, welcome to the family. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. You know, I always say to people, people don't have to like you, but they must respect you. That's the thing. They don't have to like you. No, 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 no. But they must respect you. They must be able to say, that man is a black and white man. No gray area, Renus. Black and white. Yes, your yes be yes and your no be no. And then you start seeing the power of God come upon you. There's some of you students sitting here tonight and you're saying, Uncle Angus, I've got no victory in my life, man. I've got no joy. I've got no power. I've got no ability. You know why? Because you're compromising the faith. That's right. You're compromising your stand. When you compromise, the power goes out the window. I fear God more than any man. When I started preaching, in fact, before I met my wife, Jill, if I saw a girl, I'd run a mile. I couldn't speak to more than two people one time. What happened? I met the man from Galilee. He gave me strength. He gave me liberty. He gave me freedom. He gave me a reason for living. He told me, lay your hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I've seen it with my eyes. Jesus Christ is more real to me than you sitting in that chair, sir. Oh, yes. He's never left me and he's never forsaken me. How could I ever forsake him? Polycarp was a father of the faith in the early church. Polycarp was 86 years old, Steve. 86. See? He was a bishop. And the Romans hated him. And they got hold of Polycarp, and they said to Polycarp, unless you recant of your faith, we will kill you. And so they took Polycarp, they took him to the arena. And they put a, a stake there, and they put firewood around, and they said, we're going to burn you. The proconsul came to him and said to him, please, you're an old man. You're 86 years old. We don't want to hurt you. Just recant. In other words, just say, that the gods of Rome are the real gods and Jesus Christ is, is fictitious. He said, how can I say that? And I'm saying the same to you tonight. 
how can I stand here? I've got an opportunity to bring the gospel to you, and how can I water down the gospel? Hey, how can I say to you, young man, you can live with your girlfriend and you can sleep with her, but just make sure you use contraceptives because it's not such a bad thing. How can I say to that lady who's struggling with a marriage, just lost him, man. Get married to somebody else. How can I say that? How can I say there's no real God? He doesn't really heal people. How can I say that? Polycarp said, I can't. This proconsul who was a Christian, and he recanted. He went back to Roman gods. He said to Polycarp, do you know who I am? Polycarp said, I know you, who you are. You're the son of the devil. I said, burn him. You know that they tied him, they wanted to tie him to the stake. He said, don't tie me to the stake. I'm not running in any way. And they put fire, and they couldn't burn him for a brief. They could not burn him. Because the fire would not burn him. They called a gladiator, and he ran his sword right through Polycarp's heart. The blood gushed out and put the fire out. And the man of God went to heaven. We don't have time anymore to be people pleasers. We don't have time. There's enough people here to change this university one time and this city and indeed the country. Right here tonight, give yourselves a clap. <laughs> Exodus chapter 31 verse 18. The Ten Commandments written by the finger of God. Huh? Into granite. Read it. Exodus 31 8, 18. Deuteronomy 9, 10. The word of God is not negotiable. Did you hear me? It's not negotiable. The word of God is not negotiable. I know I'm stirring up here tonight, but that's why God said to me, I want you to tell the people how important this book is. This book is in the balance. And I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about the church. Oh, yes, you cannot rewrite this book to suit yourself. They want to write the, the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught us, to say, Our Mother in Heaven. It's not even funny. It's disastrous. We will not, we will not tolerate that. Amen? Amen. The finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments in stone. You say, oh, but Uncle Angus, I, I'm in the New Testament, you know. Listen to me. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the Old Testament. I didn't come to take anything away. The Lord wrote the Ten Commandments, not for His sake, for your sake. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit false witness, telling lies. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you're sleeping with somebody who's not your wife or your husband, you're a fornicator. And fornicators are destined for hell. You say, Angus, you're coming on too hard. I'm, not, I'm just telling you what the Bible says, man. You know, when you start walking in the Spirit, then you start sleeping well at night. Oh, hallelujah. You see, you see, son, what you must understand here tonight, I've been given a, a responsibility. Sears has invited me to speak to you. Now, when I go home tonight to that beautiful home, and I get into that bed, I want to speak to Jesus. But now if I haven't delivered the message, the undiluted truth of God, I cannot go to sleep tonight.
I cannot afford to have your blood on my hands. You might not like me tonight, and I'm sorry about that, but I want, to know, I want you to know one thing. When you go home tonight, you need to understand what the Word of God is about. Okay? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. Doesn't matter what the president says. Doesn't matter what the archbishop says. Doesn't matter what anybody says. It's what the Word says. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap, folks, please. What the Word says. What does the Word say? Good to see you, Alan. What does the Word say? The Word says in the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. Look it up in your Bible, my girl. In the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. In the beginning. When was the beginning? The Big Bang? No Big Bang. What Big Bang? What big bang? Who made the bang? Huh? Ask a professor, who made the bang? Well, it just happened. No, no. In the beginning was the word. See, you're laughing, but it's true. We've got to get back to this book. I praise God for professors. I do. And theologians, but they cannot deviate from this book. As soon as you do that, you're history. You're finished. I'm telling you now. C.S. will tell you, and I taught him well. I will not go anywhere without somebody else. We go two by two, at least. Why? Because I understand the way the devil works. This is a serious business. In the beginning was the Word, and when the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jill and I went to Ethiopia for a holiday. We love going to places like that. You went too. And they took me to the museum. They said, there's a, the first person in the world. Her name is Lucy. The bones. I think they've decided to change it a bit. I think maybe it wasn't a person. Maybe it was a, a monkey. A baboon or something. And I went through with this guide. And I got as far as that. And he said, now this is the first person in the world. I said, no. I don't want to see any more of that. In front of a whole lot of people from Europe. And there were all these archaeologists. And all these fancy folk. I said, I don't want to see that. He said, I agree with you, sir. Neither do I. <laughs> okay? So, so, so what happened? So in the, in the TV the one day, a black man from Kenya, big tall black man. And Dr. Leakey or somebody from some guy who digs up bones said, you know, that man originated from the monkey. Did you know that? He said, sir, the black man, to the professor. I did not originate from any monkey. I am a creation of God. Can we have a clap for that, please? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. You say, Uncle Angus, I've heard that before. Well, why aren't you waking up, boy? There's nothing new under the sun. We're playing the fool with people. I spoke to my little granddaughter today. And I said, do you realize, Jamie, you're the only one in the whole world that's got these same got those fingerprints. The only one. Hey, you tell me that's not a miracle. There's not another person in the whole world who's got that. Why? Because God created you. This book will set you free. This book will save South Africa. This book is going to take us to another level. Dr. Billy Graham was one of my heroes. I was hoping to meet him before he died. I got as far as his home, and then things came, went wrong, and I couldn't get in to see him. Dr. Billy Graham, when he was a young man, probably the age of some of you students, 
Okay, he was a farm boy. I just had to add that. Dairy farmer's son. I don't know why I told you that, but anyway, that's how it was. And all the farmers are laughing. There was three men in America. Three young evangelists. And Billy Graham was number three. There were two other men that were filling stadiums all over the states. Filling them. And then they came together and they said, you know, there's some parts of this book that we can't really believe. You know? Some parts of this book don't add up. So the two main guys went back to university to learn and to take the book apart. See? But Billy went into a forest. And he took this book and he put it on top of a stump in the forest. Opened up the book and then he got on his knees. And he said, Lord, I don't understand everything in that book. But tonight, by faith, it was a clear night, there was a moon shining. I am choosing to believe that this is the unadulterated word that you wrote. And then he left. And the rest of the story is history. Billy Graham has become probably the greatest modern day evangelist of all time. He spoke to literally billions of people. The other two. The one ended up as a pauper. He had a pauper's funeral. In other words, the government buried him. And the other man was in a one Bachelor flat somewhere up in Canada, dying as an old man, bitter and twisted. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, this book is alive. I don't want you to ever abuse this book. You know, there used to be a, a time when I was a young Christian when some of us guys who were way over the top, you'd go and listen to a preacher and he'd say, stand on the word, see? And he'd say, take your Bible and put it on the ground and stand on it. No, sir. That's where I drew the line. I went to visit a Muslim when I was a new Christian. I used to do lots of things that I need to maybe start doing them again. I used to preach in town, remember, Joe? Right outside the Wimpy. Do you remember that? By myself, Saturday morning. Man, it was wonderful. <laughs> I tell you what, I've never seen guys go into that Wimpy and come out with a hamburger so quick. <laughs> they were in the car and gone before they could even close the door. Why? All I was telling them is, you must repent. Then I went to the town hall, stood on those steps. They said, this bucket is mad, man. He used to be our drinking buddy in the pub. Now he's preaching in the street corners. Girls, you need to start doing it again. You know what I'm saying to you girls? Because the boys haven't got the guts. You need to do it, girls. Get out there, stand on the street corner, proclaim the gospel. What can they do to you, boy? Man, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is but gain. You can't frighten a Christian with heaven. Well, Uncle Angus, what would my dad say? What will your dad say? Tell him to come and join you. Is that your dad? Look out. <laughs> oh, folks, I'm so excited tonight. You see, the Word sets you free, sir. Oh, yes, the Word sets you free. Once you nail your colors to the mast, you've got nothing to lose. And tonight, I'm going to be praying for some of you. Why? Because you don't have the courage, do you? You know Why? Because you've got a fear of man. It's a terrible thing. A fear of man. What will people say? What does it matter? Hey? Hey? What does it matter? What, is ma what matters, sir, is what would Jesus say? So with this responsibility as a preacher comes a duty. Man, I love it. The older I'm getting, the less I care. <laughs> There's that song. I don't know if you've heard that song by Alan Jackson. And the older I get, 
He says, in the end, I couldn't give a toot. Come on, give the Lord a clap, folks. Jesus. Jesus, it's all about you, Lord. And Billy Graham. Eh? And those other two just, you know, it's like the bumblebee. Come on, all the, all the physics, all the science students, put your hands up. Come on, put your hands up. Don't be ashamed. Just put them up anyway. That's it. That's it. So now NASA, NASA, the guys who send the rockets to the moon, they said it is physically impossible for a bumblebee to fly. They said the body's too big and the wings are too small. These are the guys who invent airplanes. Have you ever seen a bumblebee, son? No? Come to my farm. I'll show you a few. They fly. Okay? See, in my, in my uh, I wasn't very good at arithmetic, but uh, since I've met Jesus, I've become an absolute genius. <laughs> to me, <laughs> 7 plus 7 equals 20, 25, 30. Oh, man. Say to the person next door to you, I, tonight is going to be the change of my life. Say it. Tonight is going to be the change of my life. Tonight I am going to start to believe the word. See, without faith it's impossible to please God. And he who believes must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This young girl has been putting up like 30 minutes and 20. She's thrown them away now. Is that okay? That's good. Are you in a rush to go home? No, neither am I. I'm actually here for a week, but I won't see you after tonight. Because I'm going to the bush with my wife. Okay, don't even ask me where I'm going. I'm not telling you. Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Give the Lord a clap, man. Thank you, Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, listen to me. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because I know that my Redeemer lives. I went to Israel. 2012, 30th of September, it was just about as hot as it is here tonight, maybe hot, I think 40 degrees, lowest point on earth, the Dead Sea, in Gedi, where David hid from Saul. They asked me to be the speaker. I think that night there was about 5,000 delegates, and I think there was about 86 countries represented from all over the world. I was in Jesus' country. Say that. Jesus' country. Say it. Jesus country. Say it, man. Jesus country. This is Jesus country. Give the Lord a clap. This one. This is Jesus country. This is Jesus country. Where are you going, boy? Sit down, man. I didn't get up when you were playing the music. Sit down. What the wrong with you? Huh? James, I didn't say you could leave. Sit down. Oh, hallelujah. That's called authority. Authority, sir. I was at a mighty men conference. I think it was the last one. We had how many people? I don't know. How many men? 400,000. Okay, 400,000 men. Big crowd of men. And I'll never forget it because my eyes are sharp, man. I might be 72, but I've got eyes. I'm looking at you. Hallelujah. Why is he looking down? Look at me, boy. And I was preaching my heart out. And one guy, just like James, he got up, started walking off to the side. One guy out of 400,000. 
I stopped to meet them. I said, where are you going? They said, I'm going to the toilet. <laughs> I said to him, stand there. And then I forgot about him. <laughs> and about 20 minutes later, I said, you better go, son. And he says, it's too late. <laughs> oh, Lord, we love you. We love you, Jesus. And don't interrupt me. I'm talking. Why are you interrupting me, Barry? Just listen, man. And so that night, I'll never forget it as long as I live. Jürgen Buller is a doctor of physics. Comes from Germany. He heads up the Christian embassy. And he called me forward to come and preach. It was hot. It was so hot. The music, oh, we had an incredible, like an orchestra, man. We had ballerinas from Europe. And there was a, a violinist there. His, his name's Popov or something like that. He comes from Russia. Uh, why are you laughing, man? That's his name. <laughs> no, but you know, the tops. Now, I had to walk up there with my standard eight, grade 10. As I walked up, I walked up to Jurgen. I said, Jurgen, <clears throat> I said, tonight I won't do anything without your permission. I've said that to C.S. too, and I mean it in my heart. It's very important for me to do what God wants. And God speaks to me through men who invite me. He said to me, Angus, we've been fasting and praying. We want you to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. We've been praying that a mighty wind will blow through this meeting and a revival will start. I said, thank you very much. That's all. He didn't know nothing about me. I got up there and I started to read from Acts chapter 2, the account of the upper room. Jesus had been resurrected. The disciples were being persecuted. They were sitting together in the upper room. I've been there too. And they were, they were absolutely petrified. And you know the story? And the Holy Spirit came through like a rushing mighty wind. When I'd finished reading it, I took my Bible. You see, I've got nothing to lose, son. That's not a joke. I've got nothing to lose. It's all about him. I closed the Bible like this. And I walked around the front of the lectern. And in front of all those people, I think it was 18 interpreters, I said, Jesus, we're in your country. We've got it on video. You can see it in the shops. I said, do it again. And from nowhere, sir, a wind started blowing, and it started raining. It never rains. Don't clap yet. It never rains in the Dead Sea. That's why it looks like a moon. There's nothing there apart from the irrigation. And I'm telling you, it started blowing the instruments off the platform. Okay? Blowing them off. The whole, the whole stage started rocking. They had these big lights all over the place. The Orthodox Jews were running up. The guys had to put up the stage. And they were throwing ropes up, trying to lash it down. And then the people started running to the front. Ladies in evening dresses that come to celebrate because they'd come to the Holy Land. They were in full dress. Running to the front, lying in the dust, some of them. Some of them kneeling, some standing, and let the wind blow through them. They were crying, they were laughing. The Holy Spirit visited us in an incredible way. And these Orthodox Jews were saying, tell them to go back, go back. The stage is going to collapse. I've never told a man in my life to go back from an altar call. Never. And the power of God visited us because of this book. I want to tell you something tonight. We need to stand firm. 
God needs you tonight to be upstanding, to come to the front and say, as for me, I will never, ever apologize for this book again. This is not a racialistic book. This is not an old-fashioned book. This book is the living word. It never gets old. It's never young. This book is my compass, my direction finder. This is the book that told me to have a prayer meeting for our nation three times. This book. This book brought over a million people to each me to two of those meetings and hundreds of thousands. This book. This book has saved my life. This book will save your life. If you start to take this book seriously, I will not start my day without this book. My wife is my witness. We wake up together every morning, 4 o'clock. Alarm clock goes off, and we lie in bed, and we pray for our family. We pray for the country. We put on the armor of God. We pray the, the Lord's Prayer. I get up, and I make a cup of tea. Then I get on my mountain bike, and I ride for about an hour and a quarter, and I pray as I'm riding. I see the Southern Cross. By the way, I saw it this morning and yesterday. It's never looked so beautiful. And the two pointers. And I'm a farmer, and God speaks to me through creation. And I look at the cattle in the field. I see the horses as I'm riding past. Sometimes it's windy, sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's rainy. And I sing in the Spirit, and I speak to God. And then I come home, and then I open my Bible, and I start to study my Bible. Now, you see, I don't, I, my, my boys are farming now. I don't farm anymore. I have breakfast at 9 o'clock every morning, sir, because I've done it all my life. So from 4 o'clock to 9 o'clock is five hours every single day. John Wesley said to his men, if you cannot spend a minimum of five hours a day in this book, change your trade. When John Wesley was used, he was five foot six. He was used to change the world. Okay? John Wesley. This book will set you free tonight. If you come forward tonight when we make the altar call in about five minutes' time, this book will take away your depression this book will take away your fear. You say, I'm going to New, to New Zealand. I tell you what, you'll take your fear with you to New Zealand because it's in your heart. This book will set you free, nothing else. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. That's what Smith Wigglesworth said. He was a plumber from Yorkshire, England because he took this book. Literally, something like 12 to 13 people were raised from the dead. That is a fact. Because he took this book, literally. Some of you here tonight are sick in your body. I'm telling you that this book will heal you. It's healed me. It's healed many. Many. This book will give you a baby. You and your husband, when nothing else will. This book. This book will bring your family together. This book will bring your children home. This book. This book saved my life. Do you know that 31 years ago, yesterday, I was driving a tractor on the farm. Yesterday, 31 years ago, I took my brother's son on the tractor, right there on the right-hand side. I said to my brother, Fergie, I'm just going to go and pull another tractor out. It's stuck. Can I take Alistair? He said, of course you can take him. He loves you. You're his favorite uncle. In fact, he calls you Auntie Angus. I don't know why. I don't look very feminine, do I? 
John Deere tractors were his favorite tractors. I used to send him up all those posters. He put them all over his room. He's four years old, blue eyes, blonde hair. And off we went. And I was about to face the biggest test in my life. We went up the road, past that thorn tree, and as we turned the bend, Alistair fell forward. The tractor went over him and killed him. Crushed his body. I picked his little body up in my arms, and he bled in my arms. He died. No, he wasn't raised from the dead. He died. A neighbor came along at that moment with a bucky, and I got into the pickup, and I said, take me to the hospital. We went past the house. My brother was playing cricket with the rest of the kids in the yard. I shouted, Fergie, there's been an accident. 31 years ago yesterday, 6th of April. I'll never forget as long as I live. Because eh? I said, put the body in the room next door. My brother walked up the steps of that hospital, put his arms out. He said, Angus, my, my son, she's my younger but He's two years younger than me. We grew up together like twins. He's a big boy, six foot three. Put his hands up. I saw that little brother of mine that used to, I used to look after him at school. Big breaks, small breaks together, eating our sandwiches together. We were bachelors together. I said, Fergie, your, your son is with Jesus. He broke down. He wept. What can you do with a situation like that? Say sorry. Oh, I said sorry. You know what a useless word sorry is? Couldn't give him his son back. Sent him a text yesterday. I said, Fergie, I haven't forgotten you. He said, we're one year closer. Seen him again. He was four years old. If you get to heaven before me, there'll be a little boy, I don't know, four years old. His name's Alistair. You might be asking you, where's Marty Angus? <laughs> you tell him he's coming. He's on his way. See, this, this world holds nothing for me anymore. Absolutely nothing. Holds nothing for my wife, for my children. The only thing that this world holds for me is you. I don't want anything else. You come and say, I want to give you a million rand. I don't want a million rand because you've got to manage it. I don't have time for that. I really don't. I don't want a big house because you've got to clean it. <laughs> I don't want a fancy car because I drive around and it's empty. You know that my brother is now preaching the gospel? He was a golf professional. You know that his other son is in Boston and in the USA. He's preaching the gospel. Oh, yes. See, the Bible says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. But when it dies, it bears much, fra much fruit. I want to say to you this evening, I'm reaching out to you. I'm saying, let's make a commitment tonight to start to take this book seriously. You know, I've written over 40 books. You know that, son? And with the translations, I've written over 60 books. You know that? Yes. I want to tell you, not one of my books are worth anything. This is where it all came out of, this book. Some of you are not even reading your Bible, man. You're playing the fool on that cell phone. Read the Word. And read it in the first person. I'm telling you, it will revolutionize your life. You'll sleep better. You won't stress so much. You'll have direction. God will show you that He can use you as you are. God doesn't choose the brightest tool in the shed. He doesn't choose the strongest. He doesn't choose the most beautiful. He chooses the available. And that's what he's always done. Always. Right from the beginning of time. You know why, sir? 
Because God says, I will not share my glory with any man. I used to say to the Lord when I was a new Christian, Lord, why don't you use that famous film star or that famous sportsman? And the Lord says, because I will not share my glory with any man. So he takes a nobody like you and me. He says, I'll use you if you will stand on this word. You say to me, Angus, I don't understand everything. Neither do I, sir. But I know that this book is Jesus Christ in print. And this book will set you free. And this book will heal you. And this book will deliver you. And this book will be your compass. And it will be your direction finder. And this book will save you when you want to commit suicide. And this book will get you up in the morning. You know that I could not sleep for six days. I couldn't eat. Couldn't eat. I used to lie in bed waiting for that alarm clock to go off at 4 o'clock. I was awake. At 4 o'clock, I'd run up to the farm office. That's where I used to have my quiet times in those days. And I'd open this book every morning. It was fresh bread from heaven. Every day, God spoke to me clearly, directly. Agus, stand. The battle is mine. Stand. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purposes. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Every single day, and slowly but surely, I got stronger. Folks, you will never get over something like that. Never, never, never. I can see it like it happened yesterday, man. You know how many people have sat in my farm office up until now who have rode over their children by mistake, who have done something horrific. A gun's gone off and shot him by mistake. I want to tell you, my boy, one of the most amazing meeting places I've ever been to is Pretoria Central Prison. I was there a couple of weeks ago. Jesus said, and you visited me in, in prison. I have never, in, in, in probably all my life, experienced the love and the openness of God amongst those 1,600 to 2,000 inmates in orange overalls. I walked in there and the stench of urine and sweat and blood was there. And I'm saying, Lord, what am I doing here? He says, you came to visit me and I'm going to speak to you. Those men amazed me. I walked up to the one white man. He's a big guy. I said, how long have you been here? He said, 17 years. His face was radiant because he's met Jesus. There's another black man there. They said, he's our pastor. I said, how long have you been here? He says, I'm in here for armed robbery. But his face was shining. I said to him, boys, you are not incarcerated. You are free. I said, we outside are incarcerated. I said, the only difference between you and me is you got caught and I never got caught. And that's not a joke. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you see, these men, sir, had come to grips with themselves. They had no more reputation. Some of them didn't even want, their families don't even want them back because they're a stench. But they've met the man from Galilee. They read this book, man, like... Like you read the newspaper, their faces were shining. They come up on the platform, 50 men, no drums, no guitars, no keyboards, and they started to sing, 50 black men. I'm telling you, I wept like a baby. I thought I was in heaven. I thought it was the choir of heaven, the freedom, smiling, hugging me. I said, I'm going to make an altar call, just like I'm going to do just now. I said, I want you to come forward. I want to anoint you and I want to pray for you. You know that every one of them came to the front? 
Some were crying. So some men there, obviously professional men, who were in for fraud. Probably got a young family at home, put away for 20 years, crying. Standing next to him was a man with tattoos up both arms, earrings, scars on his face, also free. You see, when you ask them, what did you do wrong? They tell you. Because I've got nothing to hide. See, because I'm a new man in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. They are looking forward to going home, home, home. I left there. They got hold of me the next week. They said, we want a mighty men conference in Pretoria Central Prison. I said, not this year. We've got 30 this year. Next year, they said, we're waiting. Oh, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tonight you have an obligation. And uh, with your permission, I want to ask you tonight to put your filthy pride in your back pocket. I don't care how many degrees you've got. It doesn't cut if you're not standing up for this book. While we've still got freedom in this country, we need to be outspoken. This is not the Quran. It's the Holy Bible. I went to a Muslim's house. I was telling him about Jesus. I put my Bible on the carpet. He said to me, sir, please don't put that book on the carpet. Put it on the coffee table. The Archbishop of Canterbury in the 15th century recanted and said that uh, the church is above the word. And they said, write it out and read it to the congregation. He wrote it out. And they said, now get up in the pulpit and tell them. And he got up and he read the first line and he said, I'm stopping, I can't do it. He said, the word of God is above the church. I'll say it again for those who didn't get it right. The word of God is above the church. So they ripped him out of the pulpit. His name was Archbishop Kramer. They pulled him out the side door. They took him to the stake. They tied him to the stake to burn him. Why? Because he said, the word of God is above the church. That's what he said. And you know what he did, young girl? He said to them before they burnt him, he said, I want to ask you a favor. They said, what? He said, I want you to burn off this right hand first. The one that signed that confession. And then you can burn the rest of me. Would a man who did not know that this was the unadulterated word of God, would he do that? Would you, sir? You might have to, my boy. Would you be prepared to say, no makanjani. Zolandela uchesu. I'm going to give you a chance tonight. I'm going to give you a chance tonight in front of your friends. Yes, I'm talking to my age group mainly. Stand up and come forward and say, I repent because I have been prepared to listen to garbage which is compromising this book because that's what the devil's doing.
come forward tonight and say, as for me and my family, we will stand for the, for the truth. We will stand for the unadulterated. You see, sir, I'm not interested in your opinion. And you shouldn't be interested in my opinion. Tonight, it's God's opinion that's on trial here. Now, if God is God, let every man be a liar. That's what the Bible says. I am free tonight because of this book, not because of anything else. I belong to a church. I'm in submission. I have a trust that looks after me, probably more submission than most preachers. God has opened doors for me all over the world. You know where I'll be in June, son? I'll be in the Knesset. You know where the Knesset is? It's the Israeli government. They have asked me to go and preach the word in the Knesset, in amongst Orthodox Jews. Come on, give the Lord a clap, man. That's right. Who opened the door? Only Jesus. Now, what about you tonight? There's no such word in the Bible as retirement, sir. There is no such word, and that's not a joke. Me, I'm not retired. I believe, and I'm saying this in humility, the best is still coming. I want to see this country opened with the word of God every morning in Parliament. It's coming. It's coming soon. It's close. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.